question, and, and he didn't see that coming. Well, my word for last year was way worse than vision. <laughs> now, please, I'm glad the hymns aren't back there because you can't throw anything at me, but my word for 2020 was canceled. <laughs> my bad. See, I was talking about remembering how God canceled our sin debt throughout the year, and, you know, the Lord just took it in a completely different direction. Um, so I'm sorry. Uh, Blair said I needed to change my word of the year this year and do healthy and fun. So uh, I didn't know. Um, God actually made it very clear uh, about what my word of the year was and what I should be preaching on, but i got to be really honest. I did not want to preach on this. Um, I don't know if I should admit that, but Pastor Micah always says that church is a good place to be, in, uh, to be honest, so I'm just being honest. I did not want to do this message. Um, I even fought against it. I even reached out to the pastor, and I was like, look, this is what the Lord has placed on my heart, and he's made it very clear. I need to preach on this, and I asked him, is this going to go over like a lead balloon? And his response, not necessarily. So strong words of encouragement there. But, but I prayed, I, I studied, I even had him read over it after I finished it, and if he thought it would bomb, I'd just switch it up, but I'm going to go where the Lord takes me. Amen. And uh, first off, I want to tell you my word of the year is, uh, my word of the year is first. Uh, any Talladega Night fans out here? Uh, all right, well, if you don't know, if you aren't familiar with it, it's a comedy movie about NASCAR and the importance of winning a race, and it actually gets a biblical truth right. Uh, the main character, Ricky Bobby, which is a perfect name for a NASCAR racer, um, just two first names, uh, but Ricky Bobby says, if you ain't first, you last, and that, in a nutshell, is what I'm preaching on this morning. See, Deuteronomy 6, uh, 4 and 5 says, Hear, O Israel, Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. See, the Lord is one. There isn't another God. He is the one. There isn't a substitute God we're able to run to when we don't get the answer we want. Right? He's it. There is only one God that can be the propitiation to our sins. There is only one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to the Father except through him. And here is the question I was challenged with. Is he first? If you ain't first, you're last. If God isn't first in your life, he's last. God should be the one thing driving everything in your life. If God isn't, driving, isn't the one driving everything in your life, you have an idol. Did you hear that? If, you, if God isn't the one thing driving everything in your life, you have an idol. And there are a million things that can be an idol. Your family can be an idol. Your job can be an idol. Your car can be an idol. Even the Jacksonville Jaguars can be an idol. That would be a sorry idol. But nonetheless, if you put it in front of your relationship with God, you have an idol. In our time together, I was led to focus on and talk about a really big idol in our society today. And let me ask you this, is money your idol? Is your bank account the one thing driving everything? Nervous? You look nervous. It's going to be all right. This morning, we're going to talk about money. It's a lot of fun. All right, we're going to talk about money because God is first. We're going to talk about money because God loves first. We're going to talk about money because he went first. We bring our first and best because he first loved us by giving his best in Christ Jesus. And we'll dive into that a little later. But understand this. This was a conviction on my heart. I'm preaching to me first and foremost this morning. And if you feel a little conviction along the way, well, that's all right too. But this was for me. 
Because the Lord has placed on my heart that I am not giving sacrificially. I'm giving, but my giving is out of obedience to God. And check this out. God doesn't want our obedience. He wants our heart. Because here's what I came to realize is that my idol became my money planner. It's true. I, I can look and look and look and have that budget right down to the last penny. And in that planner, our giving was there, but it wasn't a giving out of a love for Jesus. It was a giving out of obedience because as Christians, we're supposed to tithe, right? feels wrong to admit it, but it's true. My security was found in my planner. And while I'm preaching to me this morning, I think a lot of us can relate to this. And let me promise you what's going to happen right now. If money has a grip on your life, you're going to start preaching your own imaginary sermon to yourself throughout this entire message about why more should be mine. But I felt very convicted in this because ultimately generosity is a gospel issue. Okay, understand that generosity is a gospel issue. And understand this, I don't want anything from you. I really don't. I genuinely want freedom for you. And what I don't want, I don't want you to hear a sermon about generosity and give more to the church. Sorry, Pastor Micah. I just don't. All right, what I want is for us to live a life of generosity because of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because to not do that is to not live a life pleasing to God. Essentially what it is, is it's misplaced hope. In regards to my life financially, I started following guys like Dave Ramsey more than Jesus. And nothing wrong with listening to Dave Ramsey and being smart financially and getting out of debt. We should be good stewards of God's money. The Bible makes it clear we are to be good stewards in everything God has given us. I just got to a place where I was giving and it was no way sacrificial giving on my part. I wasn't having to give up anything to give to God. I was putting my hope in my bank account, and it's misplaced hope. And misplaced hope will still kill and destroy you. The Bible talks a whole bunch about money. The Bible says money is the root of all evil, right? All right, good. That's not the verse. A lot of us think that's one of those things that's in there, but it's not really there. It's a misquote. Um, it's like saying, Luke, I am your father. Right from Star Wars. That ain't the quote from Star Wars, in case you're wondering. It's, no, I am your father. Get it right. But anyways... Um, my verse of the year can be found in 1 Timothy 6.10. Um, I'm going to ask that you stand in reverence to the reading of God's word if you are able and willing. But 1 Timothy uh, 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Let's pray real quick. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, let your will be done. Lord, convict us where we need convicting. Lord, May your words be spoken this morning, not my own. I thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, be with us. We need you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. You can have a seat. So for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. See the difference between the misquote and actual scripture? What is commonly said is that money is the problem. See, money ain't the problem. According to the Bible, money is not the problem. Money just reveals that there is, in fact, a problem See, the desire to be rich leads people into temptation. And if I just pay off my car, I'll be happy and can do the things I want. Or if I just pay off my student loans or my credit card bills or if I pay off my house, whatever it is, we think if we were just debt-free, we would have true freedom. And just a quick note here, when we think like that, it's never, if I just pay off my car, I'll be happy because I can give more to the Lord, right? Or if I just pay off my student loans, I'll be able to give to the Lord because the joy of the Lord is my strength. We never think that way. We strive to be debt-free so more of what we make can be ours. 
That's what it's about. We want to be debt-free so we can be free to do what we want, but we know true freedom is found in the person of Jesus Christ, not our circumstances. See, that's exactly what Paul was saying right before my verse of the year in 1 Timothy 6, 6-8. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we were brought uh, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. See, we need to be content. Be content. We are striving for bigger and better, and what is happening is this. We're no longer focused on the good news of the gospel. We have now turned and focused on our situation. We have turned and focused on the gifts we have been given instead of the giver. And it's not even we're focused on the gifts we do have. We are so focused on the things that we don't have. We are so worried about what we don't have that we forget everything we do have. We are focused on our situation more than our relationship with the true one true God. And when that's happening, an idol is creeping in and it's taking shape. And don't get me wrong, it is a great thing to get out of debt. It's awesome not having a car payment. What a glorious day it's going to be when I don't have student loans hanging over my head. But that day pales into comparison to the glorious day it's going to be when Jesus I shall see. See, we have to realize that if money is our idol, an idol demands sacrifice. When money is our idol, it'll sacrifice our relationship with God, people, and peace. That's exactly what Timoth- or Paul wrote to Timothy um, was, you know, um, what was sacrificed because of his love for money. Their relationship with God was sacrificed. That's a high, high price to pay. And I pray none of us are willing to pay that price. Because some people have walked or are going to walk away from their faith to pursue after the almighty dollar. How much is your faith worth to you? Because those people who walked away from their faith weren't willing to part from their money. They treasured their time and money more than their relationship with God. Because time is money after all, right? And they were not willing to sacrifice either one. And my first truth is this. A faith that costs you nothing is worth nothing. You can write that down if you want to. It's on the board for you. A faith that costs you nothing is ultimately worth nothing. And you can cherry pick verses all day to try to defend and justify why you aren't giving your first and best to the Lord. Problem is you aren't following the God of the Bible when you do this. You are just following your own desires. Why more of what God has given us is ours instead of his? Look at uh, verse 11 with me. And we look at one verse in light of all verses, and just because there's a subheading and a break in the text, at least there is in my Bible, it doesn't change what Paul is talking about. Look how Paul continues in the chapter. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. So Paul tells Timothy the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, not the root of all evil, but a root of all kinds of evil, then transitions into, but you, O man of God. What a title that is. May we all strive for that title. And realize this, that phrase, man of God, only Timothy is referred to it in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, Moses, Samuel, a couple of the prophets were given that title. But only Timothy in the New Testament. What a title indeed. But you, O man of God, flee these things. We run from it. I like to joke, and there's some truth to it. I lift weights because you can lay down and do it. There's no cardio involved in lifting weights. If you ever see me running, you too ought to start running because something is terribly wrong. I went over with the youth a couple weeks ago the parable of the prodigal son. 
And one of the things that happens is that the father runs to greet the rebellious son. And it was a big, scandalous deal because dignified men did not hike up their skirts and start running in that time period. I just happened to be a dignified man. But if you ever see me running, I'm running from something or chasing after someone. Those are your options. And for whatever reason, when Paul says flee these things, my mind went to like trying to outrun a bear. That's how you have to flee that, flee, right? Like your life depends on it. And there isn't a dean around with tiny little legs next to you. I love you, dean. If that were the case, you don't have to outrun the bear. You just got to outrun dean. And I like my chances with that. But it is just you and the bear, and there hasn't been a honeypot around in a while. So run away from the love of money because the shiny things of this world will never satisfy our empty souls. I think we can agree with that, right? A bunch of us just got shiny, new, pretty things for Christmas. In six months, are we going to love it and want it as much as we did the day that we got it? Like, I think about when the Jeep Gladiator first came out. And I love, love the Jeep Gladiator. You have to understand, my first vehicle was a Jeep Wrangler. My second vehicle is a truck. If those two vehicles fell in love, got married, and had a baby, it'd be the Jeep Gladiator. All right? You get a nice lift on it and some big mud tires, and them things are awesome. All right? And I wanted it. I wanted it so badly that I started to look at my truck like there was something wrong with it. Ain't nothing wrong with my truck. All of a sudden, though, it's code red, time to upgrade and go into a bunch of debt because I wanted it. But it wouldn't make much sense for me to do that when my truck has cold AC, praise the Lord, a working radio, and the best part, no car payment. Can I get an amen for that one? Because ultimately, in the not-too-distant future, I would start to view that Jeep like I was doing my truck, and my eyes would become focused on the next shiny new thing. Because the shiny things of this world never satisfy our empty souls. We think they do, but then time passes on, and it's on to the next shiny new thing. So we flee these things, and we pursue, you pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. You sprint. You sprint like you're the third cheetah on the ramp to Noah's Ark. And brother, it's starting to rain. You better get to stepping. That should be how we run to these qualities, because these qualities are found in us through Christ Jesus. The only reason we are made righteous is because he who knew no sin became sin and became the propitiation of our sins so that we could be clothed with the righteousness of God. And many, many of these traits resemble those characteristics of all the believers as the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. If you love money, if generosity isn't there, if God isn't the first thing in your life, these qualities are not going to manifest itself in you. You may act like you have them. You may even do some of them for a while. But eventually what will happen is you will fall away just like those people Paul spoke of. Do you realize and understand that God did not give you all that you have so you could have all that you want, but so that others could have all that they need? That's my second truth. God did not give you all that you have so you could have all that you want, but so that others could have all that they need. Audience participation time, so look alive. Every good and perfect gift comes from All right, I'm going to start doing push-ups so y'all don't get with me. Every good and perfect gift comes from? Ah, goodness gracious love. Thank y'all. Three-letter word and a Sunday school answer. Work with me, people. And if God blesses you, 
And I got news for you, friends. We are blessed beyond measure. It may not feel like it right now, but we are born in the greatest country in the history of the world. We have freedoms that most people only dream of. We have cars, air conditioning, praise the Lord again. Freedom to worship, a roof over our head. We know where our next meal is coming from. We have access to medical care. We have clean water to drink. God has blessed us and continues to bless every single one of us. But are we being a blessing to those that do not have those things? Look down at verse 17 of 1 Timothy 6. Paul instructs the rich Christian how to live. And in case you were wondering, we are the rich Christian. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of what of that which is truly life. Do you realize that over a billion, a billion with a B, a billion people live on less than a dollar a day? They live on less than one item on the dollar menu at McDonald's. And close to two billion, billion, two billion people are living on less than two dollars a day. Some of us could go onto our couch cushions and find that. Almost half the world is struggling to find food shelter, clean water, and medical care with the same amount of money you and I are about to go spend on a sweet tea. Over 20,000 children will die today because of either starvation or disease. And I'm not talking like the bubonic plague. I'm talking preventable diseases. When our kids get the flu, we consider it an inconvenience. But half the world's parents worries it's a death sentence. You may not always feel rich, but you have water, you have food, you have clothes. If you make $25,000 a year, you are the top 10% of the world's wealthiest people. Think about this. Florida passed a law making minimum wage 15 bucks an hour. I'm just stating the fact, whether you agree with it or not, I don't really care. You can talk about Pastor Michael with that. But Florida just passed a law making minimum wage 15 bucks an hour. That is over $31,000 a year before Uncle Sam gets theirs if you are a full-time worker. When that law takes effect, Florida's minimum wage full-time workers will be part of the top 10% wealthiest people in the entire world. God has given us so much, yet what are we doing with what he has given us? And check out this fun statistic. Christians in North America give an average about 2.5% of their annual income. And I think that's probably a generous amount, if I'm being honest, but we'll go with it. 2.5% of income goes to the church. Then churches in North America give an average, an average of 2% of their money to needs around the world, to missions overseas. Now that's an average. Praise the Lord, FBC Oceanway gives much more towards missions. Our budget normally ends up around the 17, 18%. Um, that normally goes to missions. But on average, 2% of a church's budget goes outside of the church. So you put it together, that means that out of every $100 a North American Christian makes, we give five cents to the rest of the world. Five cents. How does that make you feel? A little uncomfortable, ain't it? And it should make us uncomfortable to have these realizations put in front of us. And you may hate this message. 
You may hate this message, and that's okay, but I got news for you, Scooter. If you hate this message, you would really hate the ministry of Jesus Christ. Because 30% of everything he talked about had to do with money. Jesus talked about money more than heaven, hell, and faith. And those three things, kind of a big deal. And the reason Jesus talked about money so much is that money reveals our heart. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It just it shows a symptom of a much bigger issue going on. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is going to say, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And understand this. Jesus does not need your money. Like, we understand that, right? Like, what are you going to do? Give Jesus $20? Like, really? He doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And Jesus knows that nothing competes for the heart more than money and the shiny things of this world. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Matthew 6. Um, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus uh, mainly talking and teaching to his disciples. There's a, a crowd around. They're secondary, though. He is mainly teaching to his disciples. And he said in Matthew 6, starting in verse 19 and going forward, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever you are investing your treasure is where your time, effort, and attention will go. That's just how it works. That is just how it works. One of the best illustrations I have for this is my Uncle Danny. For most of his life, he was a good man and a Florida Gator fan. But then his daughter started going to that evil school out west. And he started writing checks. And he started writing them checks. And he started writing them checks. And all of a sudden, that gator chomp started getting a creek in it. And all of a sudden, it turned into a tomahawk. And ugh, I don't blame him, though. That's just how it works. If Judah grows up and starts going to FSU, I would probably do the exact same thing. My wife graduated from Florida. I'm just a fan. I am not invested there. So if Judah goes to Tallahassee, go Knowles. They ain't going to be any good, but go Knowles. And if he were to go to Georgia, well, hunker down, you hairy dogs. I'm just kidding. I'd have to disown him if he went to Georgia. <laughs> I'm only joking. He ain't going out of state if I have anything to do with it. But getting back to uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 22 through 24, Jesus goes on to say, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Of all the things Jesus said competes for the human heart, he could have said you cannot serve God and the devil. But he says you cannot serve God, the all-creating, never-ceasing, all-powerful one, and the stuff of the earth. Because your heart will go after one, and it's going to turn, and you will turn your back to the other one. And God wants your heart. And earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? What we are doing is we are looking for money. We are looking for the shiny things of this earth to do what it cannot do. A lot of us, a lot of us in here are spenders, all right? Any spenders in here this morning? Don't be shy. It's okay. Yeah, me too. See, I decided this year I was not going to buy any more gym clothes. 
All right, I already have it. It all looks the same. I have all the gear. No more. How many pair of gym shorts and T-shirts does one really need? <laughs> Amen, and I do. The problem is students and family and tempters gave me gift cards for Christmas. And I love Dwayne The Rock Johnson's gym attire from Under Armour. It all looks exactly the same, but I don't care. My closet is just full of black and gray T-shirts. I have the same logo on it. All right. But I got a gift card for $25. I get online to use my gift card. Cost me $100. Cost me $100. That's what happened. By the time I use my gift card, I'm in the hole, 75 bucks. Got a pair of shorts, and I said, what am I going to do? Start lifting with no shirt on? I ain't going to be that guy. So I had to get me a shirt. Then I noticed socks were on clearance, so I was like, might as well throw them in, too. And then the social dilemma people, you know, the social dilemma people for, like, Facebook and all that did what they do with their little algorithm thingy, and so, like, a Under Armour hat pops up. I'm like, well, I'm tired of wiping sweat off my shirt, so I might as well get a hat, and boom, 100 bucks later, I'm out the door. So I'm with y'all. So what Jesus says to us, if we are spenders, is to look at the flowers. Just look at the flowers. You know how much they spend on their wardrobe? Not a dollar. And God closed them. So what Jesus is saying is look at the flowers because if you look to money and shiny things for satisfaction, you are going, it is going to let you down because it's just stuff. It is just stuff. And some of us are savers. Any savers around here? Y'all so proud of yourselves. And the problem with savers, and there is a problem with y'all, is that you are looking towards money as your security. You look at a computer screen to give you a sense of security, and it can't do it. It just can't. One phone call from a doctor, and that security goes out the window. And Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Jesus is telling the savers to look at the birds. They don't have a savings account. Don't get me wrong, I'm pro-savings account. As I said, we are to be good stewards of God's money, but not to where your savings account becomes your security. So this is why Jesus is talking about money so much. And the third and final truth is this. God is first. God loves first. God went first. We bring our first and best because he loved us by bringing us his best in Christ Jesus. All right, so what is the deal with tithing and money and all this fun stuff? And we tithe for a whole bunch of reasons, not just so the building stays open. We bring to God our tithe and not give. We can't give to God. Realize we don't give God anything. Okay, we, what, what can you give God? We, we bring our first and best to him. It's already his. Like if I let you borrow my truck, which I'm not going to do, so don't ask. But if I were to let you borrow my truck and a week later you come up to me and you're like, man, do I got a gift for you? and you toss me back my car keys, you didn't give me anything. The truck was already mine. That is the same thing with a tithe. We bring back a portion of what God has given us. The reason we give to God is not just to show obedience. It's just not an act of spiritual maturity. And we don't even bring to God because of all the need in the world. And as we saw, there is a huge need in this world. We bring to God as a response to who he is. We bring to God as a response to his character and nature. We give because God is first. There is no other God in this entire universe. And we give the first and best portion he has blessed us with back to him. 
He isn't first in the list of priorities. He is the priority. We go to him with the list of priorities because God just doesn't want to be first on a list. He doesn't do seconds, and he doesn't do leftovers. So God is first, and then God loves first. For God so loved the world, not that we loved, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the payment for our sins. The Bible tells us God is love, and we love because he first loved us. The reason that God loved first is because he is first. So he is first, he loves first, and he went first. God went first. God shows his love for us in that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is just who he is. And Jesus reveals that money shows us what is first in our life. Our heart follows our treasure, and ultimately, it is all his. It is all his. And we are, we are stewards. And stewardship and generosity are two sides of the same coin. They have a lot to do with one another, but they are not the same thing. We are called to be generous and stewards. And if you're all generous and zero stewardship, you can only be generous one time. And you can be a really good steward and just save it all for yourself. And that would be greedy, though. But I've never met a person who actually thinks they are greedy. But God tells us to steward it all so we can be generous. So God is first. God loves first. Money realizes what is first in our lives. But it's all his. And a tithe in the Old Testament was 10%. It was the law. And they didn't tithe off their paychecks. All right? They tithed on like their goat's milk and crops and paprika and stuff like that. Ultimately, it was first fruit giving. And the reason it was first fruit instead of when the harvest was over was because giving leftovers is not giving in faith. Right? You gave first because you believed the Lord would provide after the first bit of harvest. You can have a really good budget and a really sharp pencil and never bring your first and best to God. They gave the first and best because they were declaring that Jesus was the first and best. But then the question turns into, is the tithe even required in the New Testament? If you believe that tithing, uh, if you believe that tithing to the Lord will give you right standing before God, then the answer is absolutely not. God is not going to love you more or less if you give him or don't give him 10%. It's not how it works. Jesus already established his love for you on Calvary when he went to the cross and died the death we should have been, that should have been ours. So the question is, if we are honest with ourselves, isn't, is the tithe required? The real question is, can I keep more for me? That's the real question, if we're honest. Did Jesus come to abandon the law or to fulfill the law? See, not only did Jesus come to fulfill the law, he elevated the law. You don't believe me? The Bible says, you, Jesus said, you have heard, you shall not commit murder. I say to you, if you are angry with your brother, you have committed murder in your heart. Elevated it. Still don't believe me? When you have heard, uh, you have heard, do not commit adultery. I say to you, if you lust after another woman in your heart, you have committed adultery. So he raised the bar. So what do you think he's going to do with the Old Testament law of tithing? See, you just can't check off the God tax and be like, me and him are good this week. That's not how it works. The whole Bible reveals the fact that God is first. He loves first. He went first. And what we do with our money reveals who is first in our lives. So we bring our first and best to the Lord, and it's not a gift to God. It belongs to God. And I believe tithe in the New, Test, uh, New Covenant, I believe it doesn't just mean a percentage. I believe it is in means of priority in your life as well. And the reality is this. Every single one of us tithe to something. 
We all tithe to something. We all give something our first and our best. And what we give our first and our best to ultimately reveals what we put our satisfaction, security, and joy in. For a lot of us, we put our first and our best in our family and then give the rest to God. But God doesn't do leftovers. Or we do it with our house or our education or whatever it is. The only one who can give you eternal satisfaction, security, and joy is the one who created you and died for you on the cross. And nothing in this world will be able to do those things. And I don't know about you, but I want to give more to God than I do Jay yet. I want to give more to God than credit card companies. And I want to give more to God than AT&T. And I want to give more to God than our mortgage company. That he is reflected in our bank account that he is first and he is best. In the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, God talks about tithes and contributions. This is the last book of the Old Testament. Between Malachi and Matthew, there is a 400-year gap. And one of the last things God instructs his people to do is give the full tithe to the storehouse, that there may be food in the house. The last things he says is to give the full tithe. I think that's kind of a big deal. One of the last things God's instructs his people to do is to give to him fully. So this year, Blair and I are going to give our full tithe to the storehouse. That is what God commanded in Malachi. Give the full tithe to the storehouse. That is what the Lord has placed on my heart. To give our first and our best and let the Lord do what he's always done. And in case you're wondering, if you call First Baptist Church Ocean Way home, this is your storehouse. And there is a difference between a tithe and an offering. A tithe goes to your home church. An offering is an addition to, like if you sponsor missionaries outside of the church, or you sponsor a kid through an organization like uh, Compassion International, or how so many of y'all donate to the youth so we can do things like winter retreats and summer camps, and you open up your homes to us. And I can't thank you enough for that. But that is not supposed to be instead of your tithe. That is in addition to. And I, I need you to understand, check this out. This is not a message to start cowboying up. If this church is killing it. If that's what you got out of it, you missed the entire point of my message. For the size of our church, we are able to accomplish quite a bit. We finished with a surplus for the first time in over a decade. Y'all should be a little more excited about that, but that's cool. All right, this church is absolutely killing it. I didn't talk about giving to anything particular in our time together. I talked about who we are giving to. That is what is most important. We bring it to God. And I want to leave you with this. And Kyle, if you and the band want to come up, you're more than welcome. Come on. I wonder if followers of Christ, a hundred years from now, if Christ hasn't come back and come Lord Jesus. Let me emphasize that a little bit more because the way things are going in our world. Come Lord Jesus. But if he hasn't come back yet, if followers of Christ a hundred years from now will look back at Christians in America today and ask, why did they give their first and best to the things of this earth that rust and rot instead of building up treasures in heaven? Why did they not put their first, why did they not put Christ first in their lives? I want to ask you this question. Is God the one thing driving everything in your life? I pray he is or he is going to for each and every one of us who call him Lord throughout this year and every year. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you 
for this conviction on my heart. Lord, may we bring our first and our best to you throughout this year. Lord, we don't do it as a response to a sermon about generosity. We, we do it as a response to who you are because you gave us your best in Christ Jesus. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for it all. We love you, Jesus. Amen.